Good morning. How are we? Um, it's good to see you guys again. Um, we've, we're starting to cover some ground. It seems like we're already into lesson three uh, of a really long series, obviously. Um, but I think um, as we as we're moving ahead, I think we can start to see how he's preparing us. He's setting the table, preparing us for uh, giving us a lens through which we can um, start to interpret the Old Testament as a whole as we work through all of these books, um, focusing on on Christ. Um, and this week's uh, lesson. Uh, it's kind of an extension of the last lesson, but it's focused upon biblical testimony that Jesus is the theological center of the Old Testament. Um, and as he's argued before, of the entire Bible. Um, but uh, as has been our custom, um, I think we'll start today with Psalm 119. The section is Sade, Sadi, um, uh, which kind of interestingly, the root a uh, word here, uh, sadiq, is kind of a root word for the term or the, the concept of righteousness. And we see that six times, actually, here in this psalm. So um, let me read this. Uh, psalm 119, verses 137 through 144. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Remember this, the last uh, four words there, that I may live. Give me understanding that I may live. I think we're going to see that play out in this lesson um, several times. So let me open up, up a quick word of prayer. Father, um, we thank you so much <clears throat> that you've given us your word. It tells us both who you are and who we are called to be in Christ. And we pray that you would give us a desire to know you better, um, to seek you in your word. We just pray that you would help us in that cause. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Okay, so Miles, I, um, I think you can tell by now, Miles is Yoda smart, right? I mean, he is, he is, he is Yoda smart, um, and sometimes he gets talking so fast, he forgets the audience he's talking to. Um, you would think he's in the faculty room at RTS talking to a bunch of PhDs, and in the next minute, he's trying to talk to... Um, um, you know, a grade school, Sunday school class, uh, he has a hard time sometimes bouncing back and forth. So his style is just, he, he's, you know, he spends most of his time writing and publishing and, and leading at a very high level. 
and he's trying to uh, take all this information and just cram it down into something that's more easily digestible, and it's difficult to do. Um, So, um, but this content is great. I think his heart's great in this, and he's got much to teach us. Um, I hope that it's helpful by slowing his videos down and working through the transcript, um, errors and all. But he starts off um, in his argument that, that, and he's highlighting biblical testimony that argues that Jesus is the theological center of the Bible. And he starts off here with the claims of Jesus. And he says, uh, Jesus is the major player in biblical revelation, both in the Old and New Testaments. I'm starting here on page two. Uh, He's going to argue that he is the center, and he's done this by giving examples from other scholars. We looked at that last week. Uh, But this time, the biblical evidence in the New Testament, he's going to start off with Jesus himself, move to uh, Paul and then uh, other writers. Um, And he says that... um, Jesus himself claims that the Old Testament finds its ultimate meaning in him. Uh, The first place he goes to is Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Um, Jesus uh, approaches the um, the men on the road to Emmaus. um, And he he quotes uh, the verse here. And he said to them, O foolish ones, this is Jesus speaking, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Um, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And he, he, he notes here that there's three times in this, little, in this short section, these three verses, three times that the word all, you see it all trans, uh, translated into our English text, it's all. Um, so he says, by sheer force of repetition, there are three alls here. All the prophets have spoken, all the prophets and all the things in Scripture concerning himself. And he says, notice that it is beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So, um, again, like Paul in the book of Acts, at the end of that, at the end of the book of Acts, um, he's using the Old Testament to describe everything about him. And he then, <clears throat> he, he then said to them about 20 verses later in Luke 24... Uh, he'll be in uh, Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. I remember if you go back and we talked about God speaking, right? In Genesis, in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, God speaking. So it, Starting again, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, this is an amazing statement. Um, it's, it's like they had a hermeneutical conversion, right? He, he is enabling them to see him in the scriptures. Um, they had the Old Testament, right? But they didn't get the Old Testament. And I'll be honest, for me, for a long time, uh, until people um, like Miles, um, until I was a, uh, you know, able to read um, 
of these types of people. That was me. I had the Old Testament, but I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see Jesus in the Old Testament like he is truly there. Um, so he says, note that the content is Jesus and the means is divine revelation or divine illumination. So you have this interpretive um, conversion. And that's what Miles is trying to get us to come to see before we start the study of these Old Testament books. This is a major emphasis. And it's a major emphasis. It's the major lens that we need to be looking at these Old Testament books because Jesus said it is. And the other New Testament writers say that it is as they reflect upon both the Old Testament scriptures and their experience uh, regarding Christ. Um, he goes on to John chapter 5. Um, he says, again, the Gospel of John, especially in chapter 5, here's some great statements. Um, Jesus says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So when we first started, we were reading Psalm 119, the very last verse, uh, he says, your testimonies are righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. And then think about what Jesus says here. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? And it is they that bear witness about me. You can see this in the psalmist. You can see this. And when you start to look, it's right here. Um, you're going to see it more and more. He says um, here in the middle of page three, he says, so you study the scriptures. You have them, but you don't get them. Jesus is the key in making sense of the entire Old Testament. You want to know why our theology of the Old Testament is always so discombobulated and ramshackled? He says it's because we refuse to take this statement seriously. Um, and he uses an analogy of, a, of the Old Testament being like a brick that just hits us and falls to the ground. And then when we start to see it through the right lens, through the lens of the person and work of Christ, it becomes more like a marshmallow. And, you know, we can, we can, we can consume it. Um, uh, he goes to John 5, verse 45 and 47, just a few verses later. He says, Jesus is speaking, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so he, he mentions in here, hey, I could, I could see Isaiah, maybe the suffering servants. Um, you know, I could see some... Um, References to Christ and some of these messianic psalms, but Moses, at the top of my head, off the top of your head, how does as Moses, how does Moses speak of Jesus? I can almost imagine uh, Jesus's conversation uh, with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, 
as he starts to unpack all the scriptures to them and to explain to them that they were about him. He says, um, if we fail to see as we go through these Old Testament books how they all point to the person and work of Jesus every time we've failed in our task to understand the text. Um, and then he appeals to Tim Keller again, um, the article that I have where Jesus is the true and better. Uh, he mentions that. He says, you could just see Jesus walking these guys through the Old Testament, right? He, he says, hey, let's begin with creation of man. And then let's look at the fall. Let's look at the promise and redemption. Let's look at the flood judgment, the call of Abraham, the call of Moses, Exodus. Um, let's look at judges. Let's look at the concepts of kingship and prophets and those offices. He said, he's just walking them through the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm the true and better this and that and the other. I'm the fullness of it all. Um, do we know our Old Testaments like that? Um, I, I pray that we will. By the time we're done, I pray that we will um, because I believe that it's so rewarding. Um, after he, this, he moves on to um, testimony from the Apostle Paul. Uh, specifically, he goes, he mentions Romans 1, 1 through 3. And I, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've kind of put this little um, uh, kind of uh, analysis of Romans 1 uh, up here for you guys to see. Um, it's on here again. I think uh, one of the things he points out um, is that Paul speaks of the Old Testament and he says, are you ready? As the gospel promised beforehand. And so um, you, could, you could rightfully say that the New Testament is the gospel fulfilled. And uh, Miles points out that, hey, this is like the MVP rule of two again, the first coming, the second coming. Um, he says, listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, 1 through 3. Uh, in terms, think of it in terms of Jesus being the key of the Old Testament. Paul begins by saying, Paul, a servant of, Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And he said, and Miles says, what is the gospel of God? What gospel of God? The gospel he promised beforehand. And here we go. We're going to have three prepositional phrases. Miles says they are going to change your life. Are we ready? <laughs> three prepositional phrases, which he promised beforehand. One, through the scriptures. Two, in the Holy Scriptures, or through his, one, through his prophets. Two, in the Holy Scriptures. Three, concerning his son. Those three prepositional phrases. Through the prophets, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And, he, and he, you know, say the statement according, uh, descended from David according to the flesh is kind of code for Jesus being the king. He says, note the description of this pre-promised gospel, these three prepositional phrases. Uh, we call that, um, we have first, through his prophets. We call that the vehicle, okay? The vehicle of gospel revelation. Then how do we get the scriptures? Well, he worked through the prophets, where is the gospel revelation? It is in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and, he, and he makes a, an important note here that the text is inspired, by the way, not the author. The text itself is inspired. And he says, concerning his son, and um, then it says, concerning his son, and that's the content. So the vehicle is the prophets, the location is in the Holy Scriptures, and the content 
he says it's concerning his son. It's the gospel promised beforehand through his prophets concerning his son. So um, he makes reference that there's some, um, we say, some um, precedent texts in Second Samuel 7 and Psalm 89. And I think it's, it could be helpful to go back and look at those texts and how they connect to this. Um, he says, how about Second Corinthians 1.20? For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So how many did he make in the Old Testament? <laughs> he says there are truckloads of promises of God in the Old Testament. Truckloads. Um, but here he says all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Um, he mentions a book by, uh, a couple of books here, by uh, Richard Belcher and uh, O. Palmer Robertson um, that speak to this. Um, he says, every one of these uh, promises, it doesn't say most of them, it says all of them. Christ is the, thus Christ is the purpose, the goal, the meaning, and significance of every Old Testament promise you can even see. Um, he mentions some other books. He says, uh, we've got apostolic testimony to this in John 1, 1, right? These verses, in the beginning was the word. And the word, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, so um, he points out here's a, kind of a quote from Alec Matir, he's an Old Testament uh, scholar, uh, a speech he gave. He said, The word of God was validated and made known to us truthfully, existentially when the Word of God showed up in the Incarnation. Um, so now we have the Word of God and the Son of God together as one, right? He's the eternal Word. The person who authored the Word became the living incarnate Word. Um, he says, uh, I could put it that way, right? If you think, thus saith Yahweh, and Jesus is Yahweh, so here's the show, here's to tell you. He's saying, yes, I'm setting, my, I'm setting myself at the cost of my own life to testify to the truth of my own word and to fulfill its promises. Um, it's like God is the author, the big A author, and he wrote himself into the script, right? He came here. Um, you can see John 1.18 there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I will point out to you briefly if you have a chance to read through it. Um, there is kind of a chiastic structure to that text, and you can see um, kind of the parallel um, concepts that are being addressed. You can kind of just kind of follow the color patterns. And there in the center, you're going to see um, kind of the center of that. Um, it's an amazing, uh, amazing passage there in the introduction of the book of John. Uh, okay, then he moves on to the other apostles. Uh, Miles he brings up First uh, Peter. Uh, 1, 10 through 11. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So remember a few weeks ago, I pointed out a couple of times now this humiliation exaltation scheme that you kind of see all over the New Testament. Um, you see it there. I kind of made it in, uh, it's a very shortened version of it, but it's there, right? The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
That's code. That, that, that's like a shorthand version of the gospel message of the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. It's there in seed form. He goes, so it's the spirit of Christ who makes, uh, makes it Christ-centered. Note in 2 Peter 1.21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And he, he's Miles, he's an Old Testament Hebrew scholar. If he wants to say that a translation could be different, okay, I've, <laughs> uh, you know, I barely got through his textbook. I'm not about to say but he felt at liberty to say, and he says, hey, it, it's really kind of more like loosening or origination. So he's saying um, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation or their own um, origination. For no prophecy was ever produced, he's, Miles says, or had its origin in the will of man. The text, the ESV says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Um, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He goes, and let's look at John 14. He, it's, Jesus is speaking to Thomas here. He goes, and you, know the way, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he, and, he, and he points out that, that the way that that is phrased is kind of like a wisdom, a way of, it's almost like wisdom, wisdom literature we're going to see later on in Proverbs and other places where it's the way of wisdom contrasted with the way of folly. I look forward to us getting into some of those things. And he points out again here, Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That reviving the soul is like life. Remember we said at the end of, Psalm 119 that we read today, that I may live. Then Miles moves on now to what he calls the homiletical impact. He gives some examples from his experience training pastors at RTS. And he has this quote by Stuart Alliott, who's a pastor in Wales and director of the evangelical movement in Wales. He wrote a book called The Preacher and Biblical Preaching. Um, and um, he says that Alyot says that uh, there's a series of features that are key for preaching, uh, and basically it revolves around this idea that it needs to be Christ-centered. Alyot says it has to be. This is because preachers are heralds of the Scriptures, and all the Scriptures are about Christ, explicitly or implicitly, directly or indirectly. Every, every single part of the Bible points us to him, there is no page in the whole book, which is an exception. And, and Miles says, then he explains that the Spirit of God that moved every Old Testament writer to write about it. Um, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ is the sum and center of all that God has revealed in his word. He is the focus of the Bible's storyline. He is the heart of every writer, unveiling himself to their mind and so guiding their pen. Um, he reveals himself through the Bible's pages to every person that he's personally commissioned to preach. Where he has not preached, there has been no preaching at all. And Miles says that he tells his students, if you're not going to preach Christ from the Old Testament, think about a job change. That's how big of a deal this is. Um, this understanding, the way we approach 
the text, the way we approach the Old Testament, if we, if we, can, if we can come to it looking, okay, looking to understand the text on its own terms as it is, but seeing through the lens of how it is pointing to and focused upon, it is Christocentric, it is Christotelic, it is Christopantic, the person and work of Christ. If, then we're on to the right footing as we work through these Old Testament books. He moves on here to Luke 11, verses 29 to 32, in terms of how we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. He says here, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is using two Old Testament figures, Solomon and Jonah. And he's saying, I am the greater Jonah. I am the greater Solomon. So Jonah is a type of Christ. Solomon is a type of Christ. They're not perfect, they're flawed, but they are types of Christ. And, um, and he, notes that, he notes here, uh, God in his providence chose to use particular offices, prophets, priests, kings, and particular times in their ministries to illustrate what Jesus would be doing in the future. I mean, three days in the belly of a fish, come on, right? We get it. This is what Miles is saying. Solomon was the greatest in terms of wisdom and wealth. He had all the wisdom and wealth and opportunity to obey. Jesus had none of the wealth, none of the opulence, no secondary features to obey, and yet he did obey, right? You see these contrasts. This is where he appeals again to, to Tim Keller's uh, you know, little article on Jesus is the true and better. You start to see these comparisons and contrasts and how the authors in the Old Testament, being as, you know, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are showing us by comparison, by contrast, with different literary techniques and structure, how we can see Christ in these texts. Um, he mentions again, uh, um, he goes on for quite a ways here on Jesus as the true and better. Um, he moves on to Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. I think it was, it was interesting that he pointed out that uh, in that text, um, his appeal to a great cloud of witnesses. He says, notice he does not say they are a great cloud of examples, right? Um, he said the author is encouraging perseverance. The means of perseverance is made explicit in Hebrews 12 too. So at the end of that chapter 11 uh, section, and he says, um, how are we supposed to think about these Old Testament authors? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He says, so Abraham and his faith, here in the middle of page 9, Abraham and his faith is calling you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Moses and his faith is calling you to fix your eyes on Jesus. So is Gideon, da-da-da-da-da, right? Their faith is serving as a witness that it is true and good to fix your eyes on Jesus that Jesus is the right object of your faith. It's certainly not to give us an example of their faith in every sense, because although they did demonstrate faith, their lives were full of failures. They were pointing towards Christ. And he, uh, he appeals to several texts here. Um, 
in uh, or examples that we see in the New Testament about the way, uh, like we saw in Luke and in Hebrews, um, that Jesus is not uh, just for faith and life, but he helps us to understand everything, right? Matthew 17, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 2, Galatians 6, 14, Philippians 1. I, I'd encourage you to go back and read those. Um, here on page 10, Miles is mentioning that Christ is preaching here. Um, he appeals to, um, he, he reminds us that they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures at this point. He mentions to Colossians 1, 27, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. He basically says, once you start looking at this and reading these texts, you see it everywhere, right? Um, he even had an, a few interesting quotes from some theologians. I'll, I'll just point one out real quickly. C.S. Lewis uh, in Mirror Christianity says, Jesus is what the Father has to say, right? Jesus is what the Father has to say to us. Um, and I thought, hey, that gets the point across to me. That's great. You know, it helps me to see it. Um, and then he, he makes an argument here um, that the Trinity is Christocentric, that it's actually focused there. Uh, we really don't have time to go in much detail there. You can read through what he had to say. Uh, but at the end, he said, Jesus is the theological center of the scriptures. And, um, and I think he made a pretty good tech, uh, argument from, from the text to the Bible itself. The Bible itself is pretty clear that this is all about the personal work of Jesus. Um, hopefully we all can, um, can rally around that as we continue to work towards um, the first book, Genesis. Anybody have any questions to this, at this point um, and what we'll be going through? I know this is fast. I know it's a lot of texts. Go back over and read it. You won't, you'll be better for it. You'll better understand what's going on. If, um, like if, if you put a lot of time trying to get Jesus back in the Old Testament, wouldn't Jesus saying him the father of one put him back in the Old Testament pretty quick? I think so. Like if it's, if he, Jesus is God, everything that God said in the Old Testament would be Jesus. I mean, I think that, and I think that's, um, like I'd mentioned, I think last week, in those texts where Jesus is speaking, right? Um, Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? He didn't, you know, he, he is fully God and fully man. He has always been and will always be the Word of God. The eternal word of God, right? Past, present, future. He never stopped being who he is. He took on, right, his human nature. And so when you see Christ speaking in the, Old Te in the New Testament, when his words are recorded and he's engaging, he is both God and man, right? And so um, I think when you, when you think it, when, when Jesus says, you have, you, uh, it, you, when you, it has been written, or you have heard, you know, he would say, you've heard it said, but, he, but I say unto you, right? He's speaking not only with the authority of God, he is God. He is also fully man. And I think that, yes, he was there. He was, when, he, when he refers back to Old Testament events and places and things, and he's speaking uh, in the temptations there of Jesus in Luke 4, and he's saying, um, you know, he's being tempted 
um, you know, turn this stone into bread. Well, referring back to events that happened in the wilderness wanderings on the way to Mount Sinai, right? He was there. He was leading them, right? I mean, so yes, he is saying, and when he says things like that, um, it puts him there in that sense. Yes. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and and I think um, I think what where we where sometimes we get stumble, and I think this is where he talked a few weeks ago about the diversity of the text. There are so many human authors, and they write in so many different genres and with so so many different like rhetorical style, the way that they phrase things, the way that they structure their text, if it's narrative or if it's poetry or if it's what he is in all of that. Right, the big A author. He's behind it all. He is inspiring the the, the writer, the writing of the text. Right. This is this, these words like Christ, both fully God and fully man. This text is both fully God's word and fully man. Right. It's it's a mystery. It's but it is. It was both. So you see elements of the style and and constraints by genre and things in the way that the text is written. But God's behind all of it, and. So we need to, we can recognize the text, we can look at the text, we can analyze it, we can try to come up with, you know, see what the, the, the little A author's argument was and how he's making his argument. And that's what we'll do as we work through these books. But in the end, you'll see that the big A author's presence is just through all of it. And, um, and, and it's just, we can never get to the bottom. It's beautiful. It's rich. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited because I think for all of us, it's going to be an opportunity to learn more and more about, about God. I hope, I hope that answered your question. I think it's a, it's a great observation. He, in those places where he says, you know, he, in two or three places in particular in the New Testament, and basically Jesus is basically saying, I am he, then that changes everything, right? And, and, and Miles mentions he thinks a lot of those Old Testament theophanies, the angel of the Lord, and, and those things were actually Christ. Uh, I need to point, I point this out. In, in Luke, in those temptation narratives, it, there's so much there, but uh, the devil tempts Jesus, right? The devil tempts Jesus, um, and he says, um, if you will just bow down and worship me, Right? And uh, there's a New Testament scholar that basically says, you realize, when Jesus' response is, you're not going to worship anyone but God, right? Once Jesus says that and introduces that into the narrative of the book of Luke in chapter 4, you don't see that word, proskuneo, worship. You don't see it again till the very end of the book. Where? When Jesus is taken up in the ascension and they worship him. He purposefully waited till the end of the book to say that. What did he say without saying it? If Jesus says, you're not supposed to worship anyone but God the Father. And at the very end of the book, and he's quoting his own words, right? 
And at the very end of the book, he's taken up out of their presence, and what do they do? They worship. I and the Father are one. That's, that's the Shema. That's Deuteronomy 6, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? I mean, it, 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 the, the more you see this, the more you delve into it, the more you meditate on it, the more you lean into it, the more you put into this, the more you're going to get from it. And um, I'm super excited. I'm sorry, I'm going way over. I got I to gotta stop this. But thank you guys for being here. Please stay up with it. Don't get discouraged. We can do this. We can be in this together, okay? Let me close this out real quick. Father, we thank you so much for this chance that we have uh, to learn more about you um, through your word. Uh, bless our time here together as we worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen.